Welcome to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. One thing I can promise for every episode, I will be authentic about my experiences and observations and do it with as much humor as possible. Not always possible, but generally speaking, it is. Beyond that, I will keep making the point that we're all in this together and that no one should ever, ever feel alone or judged in any way. I think we can all agree that dating over 50 is hard enough as it is. After you listen, you're welcome to comment on my Lynn Garson author page on Facebook. But for now, keep listening for another new episode. Hi Hi there. Hi, Ricky. Welcome, everybody, to episode four of Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. I am delighted to have a guest today, Ricky Marks, a Renaissance woman, if ever there was one. We have a couple of things in common, but but she's far more Renaissance than I am. She's a lawyer by trade, for not now, but has been a lawyer by trade, an author under the name Rebecca Marks, a classically trained cellist, now getting trained on, and you'll explain this more, the Colombian harp, which I have no idea what that is. <laughs> okay. Um, singer in an acapella group and acting in a production of Into the Woods where all of the actors are over 60. So <laughs> if, if you'd like to expound on any of those, go right ahead. Okay. Well, I would like to tell everybody a little bit about the Colombian Llanera harp. And I, I'm not going to tell too much just to say that it's a uh, a kind of a folk harp that was introduced to Colombia and Venezuela in the plains by the conquistadores when the Spanish came and conquered many of the South American countries. So it's a wonderful instrument, and anybody who wants to know more should look it up on Google. It's great. Okay, well, that's great. It, like I said, I never heard of it. So, you know, I'm obviously very taken by all of the things that you can do and delighted to have you on this podcast episode. Uh, what we're here to talk about today is the idea of women over 50 being invisible. And I can give you a bit of a, an intro to that, how that came to my attention. So this was about, I'm thinking, three years ago. I was in a group therapy session that was run by a man and his wife, both therapists, and it was four men and four women. And there was a younger woman in the group. I think she was maybe early 40s. And it it was pretty clear she had been a knockout when she was younger and very used to being maybe stopped in the street or, or getting a lot of attention for the way she looked. And she was talking about the fact that, you know, sort of things were fading a little bit and she wasn't getting that kind of attention anymore. And it was a little bit hard for her to deal with. And, you know, yeah, okay, first world problem. But, you know, this was something that was upsetting her. And, you know, we were talking about it. And the male therapist interposed at that point, well, you know, women over 50 are invisible. And the four women in the group were incensed and let him have it. But that's the first time I ever heard about it. And then I've talked to other women and understood that that's not exactly a new concept. But I heard a wonderful story about it uh, that Ricky can tell you. This is how I, quote, virtually met her, was introduced through this story. So, Ricky, tell your story, your subway story. 
So um, first, let me just say that I've, I've known about this for many years, and I am quite a bit over 50, and have discussed it with my female friends. And at some point, I decided I did not want to be invisible anymore, did not want to be kind of walking around and not even looked at or known that I was there by, by men and women. So I decided to take a walk on the wild side and dye the front part of my hair purple. Why? I don't know. I'm generally not somebody that is an exhibitionist, but I did it. And I did it after I moved to New York City and I take the subway all the time. So one day I was in the subway station waiting for the subway and a complete stranger walked up to me and she said, oh my God, your hair is amazing. Now, most people don't say anything. I laugh because many people just kind of give me a weird eye and some people just walk right by and other people do comment on it. And I said to this woman, yes, well, I didn't want to be invisible anymore. I'm over 50 and I really got tired of not being noticed. And it we proceeded to have a really interesting conversation about how she had thought that too. And that um, wasn't it fascinating. And she wished she had the quote unquote guts to do it herself, but she just couldn't bring herself to do it. So that is my subway story. And it's happened a few times, actually, not See, only in the subway, but other places too. Fascinating story. Total stranger comes up to you and identifies immediately what it is that you've done. You know, yeah. that's what I find so interesting. Didn't take her a split second. No, nope. She's looking at you and she's going, that lady figured out how not to be invisible. Yep. I, want, I want some of that. That's exactly and, right. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I started thinking about it after I heard the story and thought about the differences and the different ways in which we can make ourselves visible because, you know, it's not the same fit for everybody. So for me, I feel like I was aware of that concept probably even before I heard it said by the therapist, you know, for, you know, I'm not thrilled that he said it, but I, I think I knew of it before that. <laughs> and I think I made a decision that the way I would become visible would be through things that I did, not necessarily the way I looked, because I have always been an under the radar person my entire life. You know, there, there's a history to that. I had a very socially, you know, outgoing mother. And I think I went the other direction. I like to be under the radar. So for me, I picked doing certain things, right? I didn't do it on purpose, but writing Southern Vapors and becoming an advocate in the mental health arena has made me visible. Visible to the world? No, but visible to certain people. And I do public speaking. And when I do that, I'm highly visible, obviously, to the people in the audience and very transparent about my story, which really makes me visible. Um, and I think that's a conscious thing that I've done to be visible. And then in the other ways, sort of in the exterior aspect of it, I've walked sort of a fine line because, you know, obviously anybody can dress to draw attention to herself, him or herself. And I'm very particular. I don't want to be accused of dressing too young for my age or trying to compete with my daughters or anything like that. Um, but what I do do is make it up in the arena of accessories. So I have earrings that people like, same thing as your subway story, total strangers. <laughs> I have purses, total strangers. Yep. I've got 
gel nail polish with rose gold foil. Total strangers. Yep. I've got shoes and I'm even starting an Instagram called Shoes to Grandma, which is about (laughs) cool shoes that we can wear in case some of us can't wear stilettos anymore. How about you? Are you in your stiletto phase? Oh, goodness, no. I am well out of my stiletto phase. And I remember it well, actually, how we walked around in those things without any problem at all. But those that that ship has sailed. And it fascinates me that different women can do this in different ways to suit our own organism, as it were. You know, um, When I was working full-time as a writer, I was a technical writer, and I worked in the software industry. And if you wore your jeans that didn't have holes in them, you were considered dressed up. You have really done your work in the legal field, and you have to be a little bit put together, I believe, uh, when you're dealing with clients and such. So you did Mm -hmm. it. You did it. By, by means of accessorizing. I think that's incredible. And it's the same thing. My purple hair is my accessory. I, uh, really? And it suits you. It's, it's yeah. clear to me and hearing you talk that, you know, you say that that was not necessarily, you wouldn't have necessarily thought of yourself to be the person to do that. But I think it sounds so completely natural and talking to you. It's it's a lot of fun. And I've even gotten to the point where I'm not, I was, believe me, I was quite self-conscious about it in the beginning because not unlike you, I also had a very outgoing mother, one who used to constantly embarrass me. Uh, that was back in the day that they had toll booth collectors and she would stop to pay a toll. And by the time the minute and a half was over, she would know the whole, the person's whole family history. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. so I would be cringing in the back seat, going, oh, mom, don't do this. This is so embarrassing, which thinking about it now, it really wasn't that embarrassing. But to me, it was. So um, I, I doing this purple hair thing was stepping a little bit outside my comfort zone. But you know what? I did it and I love it. And you're right. I love it when people come up to me and say things. I really do. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you remind me, you know, this talk isn't going to be so much about dating. Um, I have to tell you all, Ricky was fortunate enough to have the most wonderful marriage, your second marriage, the way you described it to me. That's true. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. You're not interested in getting into the dating arena. So we're not going to talk so much about that. But you remind me that when I first wrote my book, you know, it's now called Sex and the Single Grandma, you know, great catchy title. I, I love it. But it was, I named it Courtship of the Invisible Woman. I love that. That's so amazing. Yeah, because I really, you know, it was it was sort of a way to try to express what that feels like, you know, and, and also the concept. And you may or may not be able to react to this, but um, you know, the idea that, yes, generally a woman over 50, unless she does the kinds of things you and I are talking about, may be invisible. But I found that there was a category of men to whom I was unfortunately highly visible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of, you know, to my detriment, but yep. that there were um, some guys out there that sort of were glommed on to me because they were looking for a woman who seemed to be together and who could put their lives back together, oh. you know, having gone through either a bad divorce or many of them in the wake of the 2008 recession, having lost their jobs, maybe had a consulting gig for a while, that went away. 
And, you know, they it's a sad, sad story. They found themselves looking around, you know, maybe living in a small apartment, living on Social Security, and wondering where their life went because they used to have a life with a house and a wife and children and a dog and, you know, two chickens in every pot and a car <laughs> in every garage. And, um, and it was gone and they didn't know how to get it back. And to guys like that, I seemed like, you know, the golden ticket. And, and that's yeah. such an interesting story, Lynn, because first of all, I, I am, uh, and I've read about this, I think men need that sort of thing a little bit more than women do. I think, uh, unfortunately, we still in this culture, maybe not as much as it used to be, raise our women to be very self-sufficient and our men to be dependent on women. So uh, that, that, that kind of fits in, into that niche. But the other kind of man, um, and I found this when I was divorced the first time after my first marriage, I was quite a bit younger than 50 at the time. So it was a little bit easier. But I found that there were men who were not interested in me because I was, take your pick, A, too smart, B, too accomplished, C, too happy at work, whatever. So that was- D, how about D, too old? They were 50 and you were 30 and you were too old. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's so funny. You should mention that. I, I fell madly in love with my band conductor. I mean, this is transference, I suppose, of yeah. the weirdest kind. Uh, <laughs> but he was a really nice guy, and he was 50-ish, when I, and I was 30-ish, and I was too old for him. Oh, Ricky. Oh, he, married, oh, he married a 20-year-old, seriously. But uh, there's that also. So we ticked off A, B, and C now. <laughs> what yeah. makes it difficult, right? yeah. By the same token, at my age now, my son always says, Mom, are you going to date after my husband passed away? And and I, I really didn't want to. And, and I had mentioned that to you, that it was such a good relationship. And I just didn't want to ruin that. <laughs> and um, But I also thought that, whoa, I'd probably have to date somebody who's 90. You know, I, I hear you. And I also, though, I want to pick up on something you said. I hear it in everything that you say. You're self-sufficient. Yeah, you might. You can choose to date. You can choose not to date. You might want to. You might not want to. You're self-sufficient. This is your choice. A lot of the men that I ran into, and and I know friends who talk about this as well. I hear it all the time. Um, They would like to be with somebody who is self-sufficient. These are women who would like to get into the dating pool and get into a relationship. and they really do have a hard time finding somebody who is autonomous and independent and a word that i learned through you know many years of therapy not codependent yeah. not dependent but can be interdependent within a relationship where you're two separate people you've got your own lives got your own thing you come together out of choice there are times when you still are independent and you know, that is my vision of which, a good which relationship. Is, which is devoutly to be wished. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that through some, <laughs> some, you know, stroke of good fortune that there are some men out there like that <laughs> who, so. who are so interested, you. thank you, who are <laughs> interested in age-appropriate women. Um, you know, that's the other thing about this whole visible, invisible thing. 
Um, like, I know there's the whole cougar thing. I don't give <laughs> you it You did a lot that of, once, right? Oh, you, you did that you, once. <laughs> I, yeah, you've got to read about it. I can't even talk about it. You've got to read about it. Um, you know, oh, yeah, I thought, oh, yeah, nothing else happening. May as well try that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there's the, that's not a huge thing, despite the fact, I think, I haven't done any research on this, but I think it's not a huge thing, even though it, it got popular and, and, you know, jokes about it and all that. And, and TV shows, right? TV Right. Shows. Yeah. And there, there are women who do that and more power to them. I know a woman who's quite a bit older than her husband, wonderful relationship. You know, it, it's the exception rather than the rule. I agree. You know, where with a lot of these men, it's, I don't understand it. And I'm, this is not about, you know, bashing men, not at all. I have, no, you know, I like them, you know. I like them too. I, I, right. I, I'd like to meet a nice one and, and <laughs> you know, develop a relationship with a nice one. So it's not about bashing men, but I, I'm puzzled and I'm sure they are puzzled by things that I would say and do, but I am puzzled that a man at any stage has an interest in being with a woman who is so young that there's no overlap. You know, the, the age-appropriate women are invisible, but the young ones are highly visible, highly desired. What could the conversation possibly be? And I'm not so naive as to think that it's about conversation. I know it's not. <laughs> but when you get out of bed, there's gotta you gotta have conversation if you're living with somebody. One of my biggest um, beliefs is that, and and I'll tell you that my husband uh, who passed away was we were two months apart in age, oh, and so okay. we had the same frame of reference. You know, this sounds silly, but we remembered the same television shows, the same music, um, and it sounds very shallow. But in fact, it isn't because I mean, you don't I have to interrupt explain you there. It's anything. not shallow at all. Right, no. right, yeah. right. And I 100% agree with you because after a while, okay, these guys are attracted to these really cute young things, but... Uh, you know, the bloom goes off the rose, you know, the, the, anybody that's been in a, in a long-term relationship of any kind knows that after the, the fireworks stop and they do, there has to be something more. There has to be friendship, uh, uh, frame of reference, conversation, at least in, to my way of thinking. No, I'm, you know, you can tell from what I'm saying, I'm in complete agreement. Yeah. And, you know, just sort of mystified. I was thinking as you were speaking, there's a bifurcation there that women don't do, I think. Um, they, I think some of these men view women are for one thing, their men friends are for conversation. That's not what the women are for. The women are for something else where I view a relationship as in the round. It's for everything. Yeah, I agree. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And, um, the best thing is to find a guy that agrees with that. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And that's why I'm on, I, you know, I find it very difficult. There aren't many fix-ups. You know, yeah, I meet the occasional guy in the grocery store. I tell a story about that in one <laughs> chapter of Sex and the Single Grandma. But, you know, honestly, how often does that really happen? 
Have uh, you tried online dating at all? I am. I am. That's what that... I'm saying. I oh, am. Okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I do. And I seem to have a whole new attitude and just delighted with it, you know, feeling very yeah. free to be yeah. exactly who I am. If I see somebody that looks interesting, I reach out to them. They yeah. answer or they don't answer. What skin off my back is that? I've never even laid not, eyes on them. Not any. You know, yep. I mean, I suffer from like a rejection complex. I'll be the first well, one to say it. Oh, well, I but think we even, all do in a way. Even I can say, the guy's never met me, never laid eyes on me. This is not a rejection. It's like, whatever, you know, right. move on exactly. to the next thing. No, I am enjoying that. And I think that, it, yeah, I feel lucky that we live in a time where that avenue is available, um, you know, because I do know that it, maybe I have friends who've been successful with fix-ups, but for yeah. whatever reason, that's not been the way for me. So this is great. You yeah, know? good, yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. Well, I have loved talking to you. Tell me, me if there's too. anything else you want to say about your books that you want to tell people a little bit about that. Sure, I, just a little bit. Uh, I I write novels. I write uh, different genres of novel. I have a five book mystery series that that I like a lot. It was fun to write uh, about a. And an over 40, actually, New York City police detective who's retired and thinks she's leaving the detective business, but she sort of can't make herself do that. So she gets into a lot of uh, situations, shall we say. And that's the Dana Cohen mystery series um, available on Amazon. Love uh, it. Shame, shameless self-promotion. No, no, no. Love it. And there's also, tell me, the, the I read about the partner is a Hasidic Jew that wears his kippah. <clears throat> yes or no? Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, she, uh, she, her father has Alzheimer's disease. Her mother has passed away. And because she can't use her father as a mentor anymore, and he always was, she had a wonderful relationship with her father. She kind of moves on to a lawyer uh, an elderly lawyer in New York City who is actually a cop lawyer. And she he is kind of her new mentor. Got and it. he introduces her to this private investigator named Isaac Itzkowitz, who from Brooklyn. Love it. Who wears a, a, a kippah with the New York Yankees insignia embroidered that's, on it. That's what, that's what I loved. That's yeah. what I loved. Well, everybody who's listening to this, you've got to go look at that. And it's Ricky. I'm talking to Ricky and calling her Ricky. But again, she's under Rebecca Marks um, as an author. And I'll just wrap it up by the way I usually do. Um, you know, we are all in this together. The whole point of talking about any of this is that nobody should have to feel alone. If anybody listened to this and took away, oh my gosh, there are other women who have gone through this thing about feeling invisible and they're talking about it and look at what they do about it. Um, that's a that's a good day for me. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. So, And for me as well, if we can help one person I think we've done our job. Right, right. So until the next one where I do believe I will actually launch into Sex and the Single Grandma, which I keep promising, <laughs> episode after episode, I'm like, and now I'm going to talk about... And, and so next time, I think I probably really will. Um, until then, everybody take care. And Ricky, thank you so, so much. Lynn, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 